Welcome to Capital Considerations, the podcast that takes complex ideas from the investment world and makes them accessible to everyone. I'm your host, Tony Roth, Chief Investment Officer of Wilmington Trust. As the pandemic continues to affect the way that people conduct business, it's almost impossible to avoid the draw of big box stores or the e-commerce giants. As Amazon hits all-time highs, one has to wonder about those stores getting left in the dust. And unfortunately, plenty of them are. Joining me today to talk about the state of small business in America is Brad Close, president of the National Federation of Independent Business. Thanks so much, Brad, for joining us today. Well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. It's uh, good to be here today with you talking about the small business economy, kind of where we've been, uh, where we came from, and where we see things going uh, as this pandemic continues and we look at the economy going into the fall. You know, one thing with uh, with NFIB, we were uh, created to serve uh, small businesses, and all of our members are independent business owners. We don't have publicly traded members, average employer, uh, you know, five to 10 employees. So they're truly small businesses across the country. And that's that's our focus for both advocacy and research. Thanks for that background. I was reading um, an article today um, in one of the, the major outlets for financial news. And the article talked about the fact that, according to Yelp, of the businesses that are still closed today, the small businesses on Main Street, 60% of those that were restaurants identify themselves as permanently closed. And of course, of the 40% that don't, some number of them will end up being permanently closed. And in terms of non-restaurant retail, a full 50% of those that have not reopened their doors identify themselves as permanently closed. With that background, it's been months since the Paycheck Protection Program was passed and implemented. And while the program was generally considered to be successful, for many small businesses, it either wasn't enough aid or for different reasons they weren't able to access it, where it may have been okay for a period of months, but now with the lack of further fiscal support from Congress uh, in Washington, unable to pass a new package, they may have run out of funds. If we look at, for example, data from Visa's Business and Economic Insight Group, it indicates that small business revenues are down by roughly 20% since the period right before uh, the pandemic. Maybe we'll start, Brad, by asking, does that number align with what you're seeing, or do you think the small businesses may actually be in worse shape than that? Well, a lot of it, um, Tony, depends on the industry you're in and also sometimes the part of the country, depending on um, you know how, how significant the economic shutdowns were um, and what part of a state you actually operate in. Um, you know, We are seeing some glimmers of improvement in job openings, plans to hire over the next three months. Those numbers are definitely getting better. But there are many small business owners, as you just pointed out, um, that those small businesses are really struggling. They're uncertain about the future. And you know, one of the things we do through our research center is we've been in the field every two uh, two weeks with a survey, trying to figure out what's going on in the small business economy, getting that kind of uh, real time information to policymakers. We found lately, you know, one in five small business owners are telling us that unless the economy improves, uh, they're not going to make it more than six months. So that's a significant uh, chunk of small businesses that are kind of on the brink right now. And Brad, just to be clear. Your organization is not just a research shop. You actually engage in counseling to small businesses to help them negotiate this particular very challenging landscape. Is that correct? Yeah, we've spent an awful lot of time uh, working with Congress and the administration on the PPP loan program, what it needs to look like, how they need to help small businesses. And then every uh, every Wednesday, we've been doing a webinar for small business owners, walking them through the program, letting them know what the resources are, how they apply, 
what the limits are, what they can use it for. And lately, uh, our webinars have been focused on many small business owners have used up those funds and they're getting ready to uh, to apply for loan forgiveness. They want to know how to do that, when they can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are so many questions out there. We have focused a lot of what we do the last four to five months on helping small business owners navigate the uh, the PPP program and also the IDLE program, which is a little bit smaller, but some of them have relied on as well. So talk about those for, for a moment. I know we're going to get into some of the concrete counsel, if you will, for small businesses and what they should be focused on as they run out of funds. But maybe take a step back and talk to us about how successful would you say PPP and the IDLE, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, how positively did they impact small businesses and how broad do you see that impact? Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, the PPP program especially has been a pretty significant lifeline for many small businesses. It got off to a really bad start in April. Those first four weeks of the program in April were were badly managed. Uh, small business owners weren't getting information. They couldn't get through to their banks. Uh, the, the Treasury Department in particular and the SBA was were way behind on getting regulations out to the banks uh, on how to process these. Um, and then the little guys really found themselves having to wait uh, on, a, on, a, on this loan program as, as bigger businesses accessed it first. But once we hit May, uh, you know, we were working with Congress to get more funding for that program to really make sure they focused on the small businesses that need it. You know, for most small businesses, a loan size of 50, 100, 150 is really the most they need. It, it's not these huge loans that they need. So once we got into May and, and towards the end of May and June, we realized in, in our data that really pretty much every small business owner that applied and wanted a loan was getting it and had those funds. So by the end of June, uh, most small business owners had it. Uh, and now we're looking, you know, we're, we're in September and a lot of those businesses have used up those, uh, those, loan, those loans and they need to figure out, am I going to be forgiven or not? But I'd say at the end of the day, the, uh, the, the PPP program specifically uh, was a big lifeline for small business and really helped them get through that bad economic time period of the end of April, but really May and June when all the states were shut down. No customers were coming through the door. It really helped them pay their employees and keep the business functioning until hopefully the economy starts to improve. So when you think about the scope of small businesses, we always think about restaurants as ground zero for the COVID impact for obvious reasons. We're very familiar with restaurants and we can see that restaurants present risk. And most of us are not going into restaurants still. Um, or if we are, it's very infrequently when you think about the broader universe of small businesses, whether it be law firms and accounting firms, those kinds of professional services companies, or maybe it's food suppliers, trucking, parking garages, how widespread is the, the pain in small business? Or is it really concentrated primarily in restaurants and maybe bricks and mortar retail? Yeah, I think it, you know, the service sector, the, the retail, small retail has really been hit hard. So you can look at restaurants, but also I'd say hotels, cafes, day camps, anything based around tourism, um, you know, um, cafes, uh, breweries, any of those kind of businesses that are heavy on people, um, they've really been hit hard. Um, and so th those folks are going to have a hard time. You know, if you're your example of restaurants, you know, even if they're operating at 50 percent capacity, that wasn't their original business plan. Uh, their costs, their expenses haven't changed at all. So for a lot of them, uh, they need to see the economy recover and they need to figure out how I can keep my employees and my customers safe, but still get enough money coming in the door to stay open uh, and hope things get better. But for a very tight margin industries, ones that are people heavy, where you have big groups of people together, it's been really hard. Well, I guess as listeners, but more importantly, as participants in the economy, 
The obvious thing that we can do is participate in the local economy to the extent that we feel comfortable doing so. Um, if there's an incremental opportunity to perhaps, you know, not buy the, the item on Amazon, but go to and go into the small business, that's probably the right thing to do if we can. Yeah. I think helping the local businesses is crucial right now as they try to get through, you know, when you look at, uh, like downtown DC, where we have our federal office, um, they're right now, their daytime population is 90% less of what it normally is. And that's all the office workers, all the people for the government and private sector that are down there. So any business that serves those office workers, whether it's parking garages, restaurants, food trucks, coffee shops, gift shops, whatever it is, their customers aren't there. So they really are struggling. Um, any help, I think, at the local community level for small businesses that consumers can provide and, and do a little shopping is very helpful. So, Brad, right now we're at a very, it seems, critical juncture for a large percentage of the small businesses, specifically because the PPP program has been run out and that pump has not been reprimed. So if you're a small business out there and you're finding yourself getting closer to the brink because you've run through those funds, what should a small business do to try to get to the other side? Well, what are some of the strategies that you'd recommend small businesses be thinking about and how do they make the decisions or get the counsel they need to try to, to make it through to the other side? Well, you know, what we don't give direct advice to individual small businesses, but we, you know, we always think having a close relationship with your banker, your tax person, uh, your, your lawyer are all crucial. Uh, I think especially talking to the bankers right now, to your local bank, most small businesses uh, do their money work, their banking through very small community banks or local banks. Being able to talk through your finances with your banker is crucial right now, I think. Um, and then one thing we're trying to do at the federal level is continuing to push Congress to to, to address what's going on. Um, we really think that um, the PPP program needs to be opened up again for businesses that might need a second uh, loan to get them through the next six months. We think that'll make a big difference. Uh, right now, that hasn't gone through Congress. We've been frustrated. Um, but really talking to your tax advisor and your banker, figuring out what your options are, because it's a lot of that's going to depend on the state you're in and the industry you're in um, and really your location within that state. Are you in a dense area or in a rural area? Um, it's all going to be a little different. When we think about the overall economy from a macro standpoint, Brad, as economists, as an investors, we see a lot of health in the economy in terms of the big publicly traded companies. Uh, it almost feels like for most companies, the bigger you are, the more resources you have, the better you're able to adapt, utilize and deploy new technologies to connect with your, with your clients or your customers. But smaller companies don't have those resources. And that's why you might have heard the term a K-shaped recovery, where you have one part of the economy going back up, but another part of the economy just going down and down and down. I wonder at this point whether or not the small business Main Street part of the economy will ever fully recover. Um, one of the things that we look at a lot is the labor report. And if we look at the last few labor reports, we've seen a progressive slowing in the improvement in the economy where we're adding new jobs, but at a slower and slower pace. I'm wondering if you have any visibility into how much of that slowing may be coming from the small business area of the economy, the Main Street area of the economy, where they are adding jobs back, but potentially at a progressively slower pace. You know, Tony, there's no doubt that the small business economy has been significantly hit by the pandemic and the shutdowns and is bearing a much larger brunt of it than, than, than big business. 
uh, the Fed, when they put out their quarterly report, they said the same thing, that clearly the damage in the small business economy is much more significant than larger businesses. They don't have the resources. They don't have the reserves, the financial resources to weather storms like this. So, you know, going forward, um, it is going to be harder. Uh, I'm an optimist by nature. Most small business owners, you know, they are optimists. Um, So I think that many of them will find a way forward. It's going to depend on that industry, you know, service sector. um, We're going to need to see um, consumers going back, uh, whether it's in person or online or by phone or, you know, drop offs. But shopping at local businesses, figuring out, you know, uh, if you're a restaurant, can I make it or not? That's probably one of the harder hit industries right now are the small mom and pop restaurants um, all over the country. Um, so it is going to be difficult. But, you know, I think small business owners, they'll find a way. They're balancing kind of safety for their customers, their employees, new responsibilities, trying to balance their costs that, that, that are going to be there no matter what's coming in the door. And then how do they kind of find customers, keep their customers and, and keep the doors open until things get a little brighter? When we think about the dualism that now exists in our world, where we've got this massive ecosystem online that we can tap into in order to obtain the services or goods that we're looking for, or we can go to the small businesses on Main Street. Can you dimension for us at all how sizable the small business portion of the economy is? So let's say take firms that are employed 50 people or less, what percentage of the economy do they comprise? Well, you're looking at firms that employ 50 or less is the vast majority of employing firms out there. Probably uh, 95% or more of firms are, are you know, below 50 for, for employer size. When you take the small business economy in America and you take it as a whole by itself, it's the third largest economy in the world behind the U.S. overall economy in China. It is a huge economy, a huge source of jobs for communities. You know, when you when you go through communities, you realize that it's the small businesses that are providing the jobs and they're supporting all the local charities, whether it's the little league teams, the high school charity drives, the band, the chorus. It's not large corporations that are, you know, putting the T-shirts out of the signs or sponsoring. It's local small businesses. So they are crucial. You know, I think small businesses who um, are able to are finding new ways to do business online. I know at least in my area in Virginia, I'm seeing more and more restaurants getting creative and, and really working hard at the uh, the delivery and the uh, curbside pickup and are really focusing on that side of the business to get them through. Supporting local is key. And when you get outside of kind of the urban, dense suburban areas, it's all small business. So when you look at a community, if small businesses fail, you don't just lose options as a, as a consumer, but you also lose job opportunities for the folks in that community. Well, as an investor, one of the things, Brad, that we look at every day is the so-called disconnect between the economy and the stock market. And of course, the stock market represents the fortunes of much larger companies, that 5%, if you will, of firms that don't have 50 or more. And we constantly ask ourselves over the last number of months, why is this disconnect seem to be so profound? And our concern going forward is that even though those companies are doing so well, if in fact the government programs that have enabled a lot of these small businesses to stay afloat, if they don't get recirculated in a sense, uh, refreshed, then the employees that are in those small businesses are going to be out of work. Even those big firms are going to start to suffer because they're not going to have the consumption that ultimately comes from wages that small businesses pay. I'm wondering if you see it differently or if you are seeing the same thing that we're seeing. Now, economic downturns are usually much harder on small businesses than large businesses. You know, Wall Street 
um, large corporations, they can always weather the storm, whether that's an economic downturn, bad government economic policy. Um, they usually have the resources and the wherewithal to deal with regulations and bad policy and a, and a downturn to get through. Small business owners, they just don't have that luxury. For most small business owner, it's the owner and the spouse, you know, and, and maybe a few employees who are doing everything. Um, they don't have the kind of the financial cushion. Uh, most of them have either taken out a second mortgage or a loan on the business and are, you know, just making ends meet. Um, so it's really hard. I think that that disconnect is real. Um, you know, one area that we always focus on in the state governments and the federal government is how regulations impact small businesses much more significantly than large businesses. You know, a, a typical small business um, doesn't have a, uh, a regulatory department or some lawyers on staff that can help them deal with whatever the federal government or the state's putting out. And, you know, one great example is when Congress passed the first uh, Relief Act in April, they put a massive new regulation on business, on small businesses and exempted large businesses. And that was a new paid sick leave and a paid family and medical leave mandate that only applies to businesses with 500 or less employees. So the big guys were exempt from a paid leave mandate and small businesses were given something brand new at a time when their customers and their revenue were totally evaporating. Uh, and Congress was asking them to, uh, to hold the line and keep their employees on the payroll and by the way, we're going to add a few more expenses to your bottom line um, as you get through this tough time. So business, little businesses, small businesses always have it harder. It is, it is tough to, to see sometime. We're, we're optimistic and we just hope policymakers will uh, will listen and finally uh, and get something done here before they go home to run for uh, re-election. Let's just talk about that for a moment, Brad, real quickly as it relates to PPP and unemployment insurance. Do you have any number in your mind where you think they need to get to in order to provide enough relief to make it through, we'll say the end of the year? Well, certainly, you know, in our in our surveys, about 44% of small business owners are saying that they would definitely apply for a second PPP loan um, if it was allowed. So you're looking right there at probably a couple hundred billion dollars in a PPP program. And I think, you know, we, we've seen some proposals in Congress that would do just that to allow a small business a second, a second PPP loan. They'd have to meet certain criteria, obviously, which, which makes sense. But to give them that chance to, to survive and, and get that second loan. So we do think a lot of businesses would take advantage of it. You know, the, the unemployment insurance is, is another issue. And, uh, you know, there's uh, two different sides on this. I think from, from our perspective on the employer side, um, they were, you know, unemployment uh, insurance exists to help employees when, they, when they're out of work and need help. Um, that does get paid, though, by, by employers down the road to state unemployment uh, insurance taxes. Those funds are in many states, very low or already depleted. And so we are expecting a pretty significant round of unemployment insurance tax hikes on small businesses starting next year as states begin to uh, to renew and, and fill those unemployment trust fund coffers. So that's something we're keeping an eye on as well. And the other question I had, Brad, on the potential legislation is that the administration seems very intent on including what I would call an exculpatory shield for, for businesses around COVID. And on the one hand, there's a bias that I, that, that I might have to think that, oh, that's for big businesses. But when I think about it, it seems like it might be as beneficial as well for small businesses as it would be for big businesses. Is that something that you think is important for small businesses or is that really just for the big businesses that have a lot of employees? No, I would actually argue that it's more important for the small businesses that they get that liability shield. You know, they, they don't have the resources to uh, to handle a large lawsuit. Right now, they are trying to do everything they can to keep their employees safe and their customers. 
But we're seeing in some parts of the country, whether it's mayors, county governments are imposing kind of the responsibility on small business owners and holding them accountable. If someone comes into their business, gets sick or an employee gets sick, there's only so far that a small business owner can go to protect people. And so giving them uh, that liability protection so that they can keep people on the payroll, keep the jobs and the business going is really important. So actually, our members tell us that that liability protection from from uh, COVID-19 related uh, lawsuits is really crucial to their ability to uh, to function and continue. Well, it's a bit puzzling that it doesn't seem to be as bipartisan as they might think it would be. It doesn't. I mean, there are always two sides of that. And, you know, there are going to be uh, law firms and folks who uh, realize they can maybe capitalize on this. You know, small business owners oftentimes deal with nuisance suits where they'll get a letter from a law firm or an individual lawyer asking them to uh, settle for five, 10 or 15 grand on some charge. And, you know, hoping that the small business owner is going to either be scared by that or realize that it's going to cost me more to fight it. So I'll just send the money in. And that's one of the things we're very worried about kind of pandemic nuisance suits going forward. Interesting. Very fascinating stuff. Well, let me just say a few thoughts around how this all impacts how we're positioning portfolios for for our clients in the investment space. One is that I think it's important to recognize that the market, in our view, has been trading with some degree of, we think, optimism that may not be fully justified at this stage. We felt that coming through the summer, there was a a pretty good likelihood of getting the PPP and the unemployment insurance reprimed by this point, certainly, and that hasn't happened. While there's been a little bit of volatility in the markets, they really haven't sold off all that much. And so we are concerned that the markets are a bit overly optimistic and we might start to see the economic data really start to bend downwards um, due to the pain in the small business part of the economy. And that's why we have a slight underweight to equities still. Notwithstanding that slight underweight, though, we continue to be overweight the more growthy parts of the market, which are technology primarily um, and some of some of the industrial and discretionary areas of the stock market, because we think that those companies are going to continue to win if growth reaccelerates and broadens out or even if it doesn't. And we still see the same kind of behavior that we saw over the summer. Those companies that have won over the summer probably have more of a cushion to the downside. And so that's how we continue to uh, to manage assets. Now, in terms of key takeaways, the first I would say is that there's unquestionably been a bifurcation in business in America where larger businesses are moving forward in a lot of ways and adapting. And it's been much more mixed for the small businesses. They've done well in taking advantage of the payroll protection program. But unfortunately, the extent or the tenor of the crisis is just longer than anyone really had hoped it would be. And so it's critical that we get that second round of small business support coming out of Washington. Associated with that, as a second takeaway, I would say it's really important for small businesses is that as they try to figure out what to do and as they negotiate this environment, that they have the right kind of counsel, that they reach out to their professionals that they have relationships with, whether it be their accountants or their lawyers, et cetera, or even their bankers, that are familiar with the environment and that are aware of the levers that they may be able to pull to create some space and some runway for themselves, whether it be in the form of forbearance, new loans, programs that may not be as obvious that may be available today or may become available. Uh, Those professionals are really the lifeline, I think, for small businesses and figuring out how to negotiate a very complicated environment. And then the last thing that I would say is a critical takeaway for us 
is just to stay conscious and, and, and no, in no way to be uh, prescriptive or patronizing, um, but just to stay conscious of the role that small businesses play, not just in the community, but in the overall economy. And when there is a, a potential opportunity to make a choice and support a small business, to consider doing so. So with that, um, it's been a great conversation, Brad. I want to thank you for being with us today and for all of your insights. Thanks, Tony. I really appreciate it. You know, we're looking forward to a better economy. Traditionally, small businesses lead the country out of uh, economic downturns and, uh, you know, they create half the net new jobs. So they are important uh, half of the economy. And I really appreciate you taking the time to focus on them today. Yeah, well, we really appreciate you being here. Um, this is such an important and to a large degree, we feel overlooked topic given all the enthusiasm with the stock market. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And I encourage you to visit WilmingtonTrust.com for a roundup of our investment and planning content. You can subscribe to Capital Considerations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast channel to ensure you get updates on future episodes. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the sale of any financial product or service or recommendation or determination that any investment strategy is suitable for a specific investor. Investors should seek financial advice regarding the suitability of any investment strategy based on the investor's objectives, financial situation, and particular needs. The information on Wilmington Trust's capital considerations with Tony Roth has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy and completeness are not guaranteed. The opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the judgment of Wilmington Trust as of the date of this podcast and are subject to change without notice. Wilmington Trust is not authorized to and does not provide legal or tax advice. Our advice and recommendations provided to you is illustrative only and subject to the opinions and advice of your own attorney, tax advisor, or other professional advisor. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against a loss. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will be successful. Past performance cannot guarantee future results. Investing involves a risk and you may incur a profit or a loss. Any reference to company names mentioned in the podcast should not be constructed as investment advice or investment recommendations of those companies. Facts and views presented in this report have not been reviewed by and may not reflect information known to professionals in other business areas of Wilmington Trust or M&T Bank and may provide to seek to provide financial services to entities referred to in this report. M&T Bank and Wilmington Trust have established information barriers between their various business groups. As a result, M&T Bank and Wilmington Trust do not disclose certain client relationships or compensation received from such entities in their reports. Investment products are not insured by the FDIC or any other governmental agency, are not deposits of or other obligations of or guaranteed by Wilmington Trust, M&T Bank, or any other bank or entity, and are subject to risk, including a possible loss of the principal amount invested. Wilmington Trust is a registered service mark used in connection with various fiduciary and non-fiduciary services offered by certain subsidiaries of M&T Bank Corporation, including, but not limited to, Manufacturers and Traders Trust Company, M&T Bank, Wilmington Trust Company, WTC, operating in Delaware only, Wilmington Trust NA, WTNA, Wilmington Trust Investment Advisors, Inc., WTIA, Wilmington Funds Management Corporation, WFMC, and Wilmington Trust Investment Management, LLC, WTIM. Such services include trustee, custodial agency, investment management, and other services. International corporate and institutional services are offered through M&T Bank Corporation's international subsidiaries. Loans, credit cards, retail and business deposits, and other business and personal banking services and products are offered by M&T Bank, member FDIC. 
2021 M&T Bank Corporation and its subsidiaries, all rights reserved. <laughs>